0: Good afternoon, this is Jennifer Scheich with Ask ACES. We just had a great chat today with Zach Grant about urban food production systems in Cook County. There's a long tradition of food production in urban areas that dates all the way back to the start of the 20th century and the advent of the modern city. Is urban food production still relevant? How much food can be grown in urban areas? Today we're going to talk with Zach to learn more about urban agriculture's potential to address issues of food insecurity and create entrepreneurial opportunities. But before we get started, Zach, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into this position with Illinois Extension?
1: Sure. Thanks, Jennifer, uh, for having me on today. So I've been with the university in some role uh, for a little over 13 years now, I guess. So I started... Uh, down on campus as a grad student in 2005 studying uh, horticulture and primarily small-scale food production systems is what I did some of my thesis work on. And when I finished my graduate program here, I actually fortuitously had the opportunity to start the Sustainable Student Farm Project here on campus with the Dining Hall Services, uh, Dr. Bruce Branham, the Student Sustainability Committee. Um, and that project is still going on, so that's what, that project is actually almost at its ten-year uh, anniversary uh, next growing season. So you can find out more about that at the Sustainable Student Farm. They have a website, and they grow produce that they sell back to the dining hall uh, and uh, dining halls and the university community, as well as engage in different research and demonstration and outreach activities. Um, and then in 2015, I had the opportunity. Uh, to join the local food system small farm team in Cook County, they cre- they finally created a, a position up there from that statewide team, focusing more on urban food production systems and programming for the diversity of stakeholders uh, in the Cook County unit, and they had been getting a lot of questions and inquiries related to um, needs and resources and training surrounding urban food production, so they created the position, and I'm from closer to Cook County, so I decided to... Um, take my expertise up there and, and and perform the outreach function of the university w- with extension. So I, I took a little bit of the, actually kind of a, a, a traditional path in extension, if there is a traditional path. Um, I did a little bit of outreach work as a grad student, and there was an outreach function with the student farm and getting some of the information and techniques we were utilizing on the farm out to the growing community, so... I always had an interest in more intensive, small-scale, human-scale agriculture, so it was an opportunity to to, to do that and utilize that, those skills in an urban setting up in Cook County, so that's kind of where, where I'm at today. So this is my third year with Extension, and um, it, it, it's been a great journey up to this point.
0: Well, that's great. To get things started, let's talk a little bit about the history of food production in urban areas, particularly throughout the Midwest.
1: Sure. There's there, there's actually quite an interesting uh, history with urban food production in Chicago, in particular, as well as other Midwestern Rust Belt cities like Cleveland and Detroit, as well as urban areas like Philadelphia and New York. So a lot of the historical perspective with urban ag actually corresponds with either periods of great economic depression or the outbreak of of world war so uh, the vacant lot cultivations associations that sprouted up in detroit and philadelphia and new york as far back as 1893 during the sort of economic depression period known as the the great panic of 1893 was a situation where um, the mayors of those cities actually were utilizing vacant lots um, and give donating that land uh individuals who were unemployed or underserved members of those communities during that period of time so they could actually grow food for themselves and their family. And various programs like that, you know, occurred throughout the the 1930s Depression-era gardens and other civic gardening campaigns. And then during both World Wars, 1917, World War I, and then 1942 through 1944, the Victory Garden Movement with World War II. I'm sure some people are familiar with the fact that 42% of the produce consumed in the United States was grown in Victory Gardens uh, in 1944, I believe was the year. And Chicago actually played a, a significant role in that. I once saw a presentation from an individual named Lamanda Joy, who had all these interesting historical archives about the history of victory gardens in Chicago in particular. And I think I think the estimate she gave it was somewhere ar- around, along the lines of 900 acres of vacant lot space was utilized in Chicago. And I believe that was the largest representation of, of urban victory gardens uh, during that uh, federal program during World War II. So long history, uh, and then all throughout the 1970s and, and garden programs that ex- exist today, uh, both, you know, federally funded through extension and other uh, groups in urban centers. So there's a long history of it. A lot of it has, again, focused on uh, getting produce to underserved uh, individuals and communities. But there has even been a history of entrepreneurial urban farming in metro areas. You know, even at one time, as far back as or early as 1982. Seventy uh, percent of fruits and vegetables were actually still produced in metropolitan statistical areas. So, there is a history of urban agriculture, both from a community standpoint and and sort of entrepreneurial or economic standpoint. And now it's just kind of becoming coming full circle, and uh, we're kind of those programs are becoming more invigorated today. So that's why extension has more of a focus in in urban ag, in particularly in, in Cook County.
0: So let's talk about Chicagoland today. What does urban ag look like?
1: So there's a lot of different what I would call basic and specific urban ag typologies in, in Chicago. So it ranges from, you know, your standard urban home garden food production that, that families are growing uh, on whatever lot they own, you know, in you know containers, on balconies, rooftops, all the way up to, you know, thousands of square feet vacant lots that they they actually have acquired in certain areas as well as community gardens and school gardens which extension does we do a lot of um, training and we have a lot of resources available for individuals who want to get into community or school garden gardening and then there's you know sort of referring back to the the vacant cultivation associations we were just talking to in a second, vacant lot and intensive farming on vacant lots has become uh, somewhat of the focus of urban agriculture in the past 10 years or so. There's also the sort of high-tech typology that a lot of people associate with urban ag. So these would be vertical indoor farming systems that that we hear about. So the stacked sort of terraced light LED light systems growing uh, in hydroponic trays in warehouses, in hydroponic greenhouses on rooftops, aquaponic facilities, and then larger-scale rooftop farming all exist and are all different typologies uh, in urban centers. So it's, it's, it's not just one or the other. It's, it's a mixture of a lot of different things, both you know community food system-focused and uh, entrepreneurial um, urban ag ventures as well.
0: So today, we also talked a little bit about the difference between urban and peri-urban areas. Um, Could you share a little bit about what the difference um, is between urban versus peri-urban and how much produce can actually be grown in those areas?
1: Sure. So, you know, peri-urban is really more the fringe areas just outside of the sort of densely developed um, areas that would surround the urban center. So these wouldn't necessarily be suburbs, because suburbs are somewhat disconnected from urban centers and more connected by you know, interstates and, and, and longer commutes. Um, so a lot of the commercial farming operations that historically have existed in metro areas have been in para regions. And I think the opportunity for entrepreneurial farming, the larger opportunities exist in the para regions where lots and land um, might be more accessible. Whereas in, in dense urban centers, you know, urban ag might take on more of the typology of the community food system or the high tech um, sort of rooftop greenhouse type farming system. So, so yeah, it's, it's both a, a difference in the, the typology of the actual agriculture and this kind of characteristic of what the land looks like in and of itself. So in terms of you know, the amount of produce that can be grown in both urban and para-urban regions, again, you know, not all of the produce demand of an urban center is gonna be met by uh, both either urban or para-urban production. But you know, I think a focus on you know, specialty crops versus commodity crops is definitely one of the focus. So looking at more highly perishable products like fruits and vegetables, maybe cut flowers or other specialty crops, uh, would be what you would find from a commercial side uh, in urban and para urban regions, and then in you know dense urban centers and community food systems. I think that they're growing you know a variety of different crops, uh, some that would work economically, entrepreneurially, and some that wouldn't. Also, a lot of you know beekeeping and sort of small animal livestock husbandry is even going on in in urban centers. So, so it really depends um, on whether we're talking about urban or para-urban egg. So, again, you know, a, a lot can be grown, and there's been a lot of different studies that have come out looking at utilizing vacant lots uh, to uh, grow produce. And I referenced in the, the live Twitter feed earlier a study from Detroit looking at 568 acres of vacant lot land in Detroit And being able to grow about 75 75 76 percent of the vegetables and 42 percent of the fruit consumed by the citizens of Detroit on those 568 acres so again not all um, and but a a potentially a good chunk I think I, I extrapolated that using some of that data looking at some of the vacant lot land in Cook County and looking at about 500 acres needed to grow that same amount of fruit and vegetables for almost all of the food insecure individuals in Cook County, which is about 14% of the population, or slightly under 800,000 individuals. So, again, you know, not all of the produce, but depending on what metrics you use and goals that you have, you could utilize space in urban land uh, for food production and make a significant dent.
0: So, how many urban farms and what percentage of land in Cook County? actually are being used um, to grow food
1: so that's that's a little bit of a difficult question to answer Uh, the latest ag census uh, in 2012 they're starting to utilize the ag census to quantify uh, smaller diversified farms in rural areas and organic farms but urban agriculture really hasn't really been statistically tracked in any urban ag census However, there are some indicators via a few different formats. One, there's a project called the Chicago Urban Ag Mapping Project, or QAMP, which is actually a collaboration between a couple organizations, Advocates for Urban Agriculture, DePaul, and NeighborSpace. But it was actually um, originated from work done here on campus by uh, Dr. Sarah Taylor Level and one of her grad students where they were looking at Using GIS and Google Maps to kind of try to quantify the amount of urban ag typologies in Cook County, and right now on Quamp, if you go and you can enter in different filter filters for different uh, mixture of typologies, there's about 589 food producing sites is what, is what they call it on um, this, uh, but it doesn't give you an exact you know in, in terms of square footage or acreage figure. Um, the city of Chicago alone owns about eleven to thirteen thousand vacant lots, which could account for as much as eight hundred and seventy acres of total urban land so While not all of that space is, could be utilized for urban agriculture, a significant chunk could be so it it really depends on you know the the land use priorities of whatever urban center you 're in in Chicago, there is somewhat of a precedent. And progressive uh, land use ordinances for urban agriculture that kind of allow for it, define it. In other urban areas in Cook County, it's it's not as clear. Um, but I think that the it's it's changing a little bit. So as urban ag becomes a little bit more accepted, I think quantifying it and understanding the scale and scope of it will become more clear um, in the next you know few year few years to a decade, I would say.
0: So, Zach, is it possible to grow food for food insecure communities and create profitable farming businesses?
1: Great question. So, in one of the training programs that I implement up there called the Master Urban Farmer Training Program, uh, during the introduction, I often end the intro with this slide that I pulled from the research called the Unattainable Trifecta of Urban Ag, which was this editorial thesis in this journal that That talked about without outside funding and support urban ag entities cannot simultaneously Do three things that's provide good food for food insecure communities and financially vulnerable communities provide job training work experience leadership development And generate income for producers and create jobs. So all three of those things Each individual one of those things are are tasks within themselves that entire organizations can be committed to so it is a challenge for some organizations to do all three of those things or even individual for-profit organizations to do all of those things. There are some examples of urban ag operations out there that have attempted to do all of those things and some of them have not been successful. So I think the thesis of that paper was sort of suggesting that entities probably should focus on one or two of those things and not necessarily focus on doing all three of those things where I think Extension's role in helping with urban ag is definitely helping to provide that sort of training, um, leadership development, train the trainer, uh, as well as demonstration and, and research needs of, of urban ag practitioners, both community food scale level and commercial uh, scale systems, which we're, which we're doing right now. So, So it's definitely a challenge to provide both of those things simultaneously, but I think there's room for entrepreneurial operations in urban and para-urban ag settings, as well as um, programs that that help uh, direct resources and expertise towards these underserved areas to help allow urban ag to, you know, help them out in terms of, you know, acquiring nutritionally dense food uh, and some of the other sort of benefits of urban agriculture as well. So it's a bit of a challenge, but I think there's more resources and efforts being poured into urban ag every day, uh, in addition to our efforts with, with extension up there in Cook County.
0: So what do you think would be the best crops to grow in urban areas, or what crops do the best in urban environments?
1: So again, you know, you can't grow everything uh, in in urban centers and per urban regions. so uh, predominantly what we see and what we train most Um, new growers through through our programs is fruit and vegetable production is kind of the main focus in in specialty crops. You do see some cut flower operations and a few other sort of specialty operations tucked in there, but fruit and vegetable production is is the predominant production that you would see. And that's that's because, you know, with vegetables in particular, a lot of those crops, the, the turnaround time from seed to harvest is so short that you can produce a number of crops uh, in a in a calendar year in a normal growing season. And then, if you're utilizing season extension techniques like high tunnels and greenhouses, you can virtually grow year-round, even in in cities. And there is some truth to the sort of urban uh, heat island effect and and microclimate creation in cities. So. Uh, the closer you are to Lake Michigan, for instance, in Chicago, you actually move into hardiness zone 6A, which is more characteristic of southern Illinois than the rest of the surrounding uh, northern parts of Illinois. So, and again, you know, fruits and vegetables tend to do better in those systems. There's just not enough space dedicated for large animal husbandry or commodity crop production um, to, for that to make sense. So, when we think about urban ag, we're typically thinking about especially crop production and more specifically fruits and vegetables in general.
0: So I actually live out in the country and am surrounded by corn and soybeans and don't have a lot of experience um, gardening myself. Although I will say that my daughter who is four has um, a potted garden that she's been growing and she now has four tomatoes so she's very excited so you know my experience is is slight in this area Um, but it's definitely a very trendy thing for people to talk about starting Um, urban gardens and trying to do more in this, in this space, which I think is fabulous, but I'm sure you get a ton of questions. Um, so what tips could you maybe share for people who want to get started, um, specifically in urban agriculture, but who are looking for ways to kind of grow some of their own food?
1: That's a really good question. And there, there's lots of ways to answer that. Um, you know, through U of I extension and through our, our website, and through participating in our programs is probably one of the best ways to uh, engage and, and learn some of the sort of hard skills that you need to, to get started. But I would say, uh, in terms of you know actual sort of things, I could recommend here would be starting small is is probably the the best thing. Uh, there's a lot of folks who who have. Big grand plans when it comes to setting up gardens um, in a variety of different contexts. But if you have zero experience, I think definitely you know starting small. Whether that's a, a container gardening, like you referenced earlier, you know or maybe starting with like a hundred square foot raised bed that you build uh, and experiment a little bit with things you like to grow and things that might be a little bit more successful. Um, with and speaking of of raised beds, I think that's probably a good place to start, especially in in an urban egg setting where, you know, soil quality or soil health might be a concern or an issue. You know, building up uh, an actual structured raised bed and bringing in compost and soil from uh, an actual uh, a good viable source is an instant way to to create a garden. So, uh, in terms of costs per square foot, we could say anywhere from you know a maybe 50 cents to $2 per square foot. So for, you know, 50 to $200, you could, you know, build a hundred square foot raised bed garden and, and have an instantly productive garden. So I think even if you're, whether you're in, in an urban center, even maybe even in, in rural areas, if you want to have some somewhat of an instantly productive garden, that's probably the number one tip I, I could give you, you know, start small, raise bed, Bringing in high-quality soil and compost, and and kind of going from there. There there are so many resources online, in addition to resources from Illinois Extension. Uh, YouTube is just full of uh, you know extension-related gardening videos, as well as you know lots of different uh, personalities on YouTube that that have all sorts of knowledge and and skills that they can they can teach you online. So I definitely. You know, a DIY approach can work, but, um, you have to, it takes a little time and it takes, don't be afraid to make mistakes as well. You're going to make mistakes, but, you know, starting small, using raised beds is, is definitely a good way to, to, to initiate this in, in urban areas and in other areas as well.
0: It definitely makes me think that, you know, as I've watched, I know this is a small example, but my four-year-old with her, her container garden, um, There's a lot of joy that she receives in in taking care of it and watching her food grow and having a part of that. And I I think those might be some things that even adults find um, to be quite satisfying. So, I mean, while obviously the end product food is the clear benefit of urban agriculture, can you talk to us about some of the less obvious benefits that people experience when they're engaged in agriculture?
1: absolutely and and speaking to the the obvious sort of fresh food access I mean there is there can be a savings so I've seen some studies out there that as much as five hundred dollars in se- saving seasonal savings per participant uh, by growing your own food can be realized it obviously gets you outside and it promotes good physical activity uh, there's some suggestions that it engaging in uh, urban agriculture or gardening in general can reduce obesity rates um, and increasing vegetable and fruit consumption by as much as three and a half times uh, the normal um, servings that most people would would access if they, if they weren't gardening so um, and depending on where you're at and depending on the context you know A garden is creates a sense of place so you can do that with your own family or that's can be something that can be done in a community context and creating sort of a sense of community. A good example of a group that we work with in the Pilsen neighborhood in Chicago is a group called El Paseo Community Garden. And while, you know, community garden and growing food is their main function, they also host tons of cultural events and neighborhood events at their garden site. Um, a chance to engage with your neighbors, get get kids involved. So there's a lot of sort of community and cultural benefits to um, urban agriculture and just getting involved in gardening in the community sense as well. Um, in you know in, in with urban ag, also there's some evidence that property values can be raised by you know the more community garden, urban ag. Um, sort of enterprises created in a neighborhood, you can increase property values, decrease crime, um, reduce cost of community services. So I've seen some information out there that su- suggests the savings in managing vacant lots that are maintained by cities can realize as much as $4,100 in savings uh, per managed vacant lot per year. So if we're allowing citizens to take over these vacant lots, you can the municipalities can save some money as well. Um, and just you know community reinvestment and beautification I think is another sort of un you know indirect benefit of urban agriculture I mean as well as engagement with local officials because in a lot of these jurisdictions and communities you know urban agriculture or just gardening and food production in general is not it's not something that's on the books or there are ordinances for so you have to get you know, a community coalition together to go out and engage with you know, your local officials and government to to make this happen.
0: You know, before we wrap up, one of the things I always like to turn it back to is, you know, if there are students that um, are trying to figure out what they want to do when they grow up and are listening to this chat and are interested in the type of career path that you've had or the opportunities that you're surrounded by in urban agriculture, what types of recommendations would you give to them?
1: So that's a, that's a great question. and I, I, I kind of referred to it a little bit in, in my intro in that I, in some senses, have had a traditional path uh, to extension and working in these urban food production systems. Um, there isn't necessarily a clear uh, career path to extension, but you know, if you wanted to become an extension educator, you know, not just in, in urban food production systems, I mean, you obviously need to have both your bachelor's and master's degree. Um, And if you are sort of working in sort of a thesis-based grad school degree, if you had an advisor that was either an extension specialist or worked with growers in an extension role, that could create opportunities for you to go out and and kind of get involved with some of the things that extension educators do. Um, Having a strong background in communication and writing um, is is important. Uh, not all educators have that sort of background, but as you you know start networking with different groups, providing educational programs, if you don't have a good communication skill set, that uh, it 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 can be a little bit of an issue. Um, but so yeah, so you know there it's it's not a, a clear path, but there are a few different routes that you can go go through with that. Um, you know, one of the things that we're doing up in Cook County uh, that might provide opportunities for students who, if they you know lived in the Chicagoland area and were interested in urban agriculture and maybe interested in a path um, to ext- through extension, we are developing an urban ag demonstration and research site in South Cook County um, that sort of mimics, in, in some ways, an urban-scale version of what the Sustainable Student Farm is here on campus. So an opportunity to showcase different systems um, and demonstrate and, and use some of our training th- programs through uh, this site for more hands-on work. So with that, you know, there could be opportunities for internships within the College of ACES uh, to, to work with us up up there in Cook County on that site and gain some of those um, skills and a little bit more background and footing in urban ag. I've actually, I, I had a... Uh, I think it was an ag- education undergrad student work with us um, through an internship through College of Aces and Extension a few years back. And they were fortunate enough at that time we were actually working on a few projects out in a few different urban areas in Cook County. But now we're actually going to have our own site um, starting next growing season. So, you know, students could get a hold of me if they want or go through um, their advisors to maybe set up some sort of internship uh, through extension and aces if they're interested in, in working with us up in cook county so the college of aces offers you know whether you're going through the department of crop sci ag education those would be the the undergraduate degrees that you'd probably focus in uh, unless you were doing human health and nutrition or some or one of those fields like that but you know, that and then a graduate degree is, is needed uh, to work in extension specifically. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the, the main plug that I would give. Um, other than I mentioned earlier um, in the intro, and I can mention it again, the sustainable student farm here on campus, while it is a little bit larger scale, a lot of their systems do mimic some of what we see in urban ag systems. So there are volunteer opportunities and internship opportunities here on campus with the Sustainable Student Farm as well. Um, And, you know, we have, I think there are a couple courses, both online courses and on-campus courses that do focus uh, in urban food production systems as well.
0: Well, thank you so much, Zach. It's been to get to visit with you more Um, i remember when you were busy here with this sustainable student farm and getting to interview you and talk to you then and it's exciting to see how your career path has just continued to grow and how your impact has reached so many more people in our state and we thank you for what you do and how you help take the college's research and and work that we're doing here out into the state into the world so um Thanks again for joining us today on Ask Aces, and we look forward to talking to you next month. Have a great day.